Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Sound Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 260, and I want you to think about that number. 10 teams times 26 roster spots, that which means 22 max players plus 4 supplemental players, equals 200 and 60 NWSL players. That's my dream for NWSL 2020. 10 teams, so there are no bye weeks in the schedule, and all clubs using maximum roster spots. So we would have 260 paid professional soccer players, female professional soccer players in the NWSL compared to just 2018 when the max roster size was 20. So our current nine teams that meant just 180 total players, 100 to 260. That is 80 more spots for a professional player. So that's my dream for 2020. All right, two great chats today. First with my friend Chelsea Bush from Equalizer Soccer. We took a look at NWSL action since the Women's World Cup players returned in late July, primarily looking at the most recent games and also looking ahead to the final playoff push. And then I also spoke with Heather O'Reilly from North Carolina Courage and also member of that 2015 U.S. Women's National Team that won the Women's World Cup. We talked about her upcoming retirement from pro soccer, her new gig as assistant coach to Anson Dorrance at her alma mater, North Carolina, and her experiences working the Women's World Cup this summer in an off-field role. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Chelsea Bush from Equalizer Soccer. Chelsea, it's the most exciting time of the NWSL season as the playoff race is heating up, but like no one's clinched yet. We only have a couple of teams eliminated and ah, so much to talk about. Um, but I really want to focus on NWSL season since the World Cup players returned to their squads in late July. So first thoughts on what we've seen the last six weeks. Um, well, I think my first thought probably is that I think we've seen some players struggle to get back into their groove at their club, be it, you know, a different position or just being surrounded by different players. I think it's taken a little bit longer for some of those players to adjust. You know, I'm thinking of say maybe like Crystal Dunn um, and this, for her, she's the one who you know plays just a completely different position in a completely different system between the U S and North Carolina. But I thought she's until maybe last week, she's, she's been very quiet for, for North Carolina. And you compare that to how good she was for North Carolina before the World Cup, where I thought she was the standout MVP at that point. Right. Um, it seems to be taking her a little while to get into her groove. And I think we've seen that with a couple of other different players. You know, I think Lindsay Horan has had a little bit of a struggle of really being impactful. And I, to be honest, I'm kind of wondering if maybe she's still carrying some sort of minor injury that's, that's hindering her. But some players like that, like just getting back into the, the swing of things. And this is, a, you know, a longer season than we've had in the past in terms of how how long the season stretches. Obviously, it's the same number of games as last season, but the the season is stretching over a longer period. And we look back to 2015 where the players returned to their clubs and regular season wrapped up within six weeks. You know, at this point, four years ago, we were just about to play the semifinals. Here, we've got teams with three to five games left. So, you know, one of the things I'm wondering about is... Um, teams and, and, and in specific cases, players who played a lot of time at the Women's World Cup kind of hitting that wall, not necessarily physically, in some cases physically, but also 
mentally where you think about all the work and focus um, and mental energy that goes into a women's world cup, you know, the event you've, you've planned for all your life. And, you know, whether you've got the high of winning like the U S players or, you know, eliminated in a frustrating manner, like some of the other NWSL players at the world cup, it's like, that's gotta be an adjustment coming back to your club team. And, and I also feel like, like injury wise, you know, you can give it your all during the world cup and, and like, okay, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with the recovery later. And so I, I, I do think we've seen kind of a slower um, re-entry of, of some of the world cup players. Um, and in some cases like, like, you know, Lydia Williams having the the ankle injury, they had to put her on the D 45 list. Um, you know, Pino finally uh, getting to play with, with the rain, but it's, it's a challenge. And, and I think it speaks to, I, I don't think we'll ever get to, to see this, but when you think about the men's world cup and how most leagues don't play in the summer. So when the world cup is over, you know, all those players, then they get a three week vacation. It's the, it's the only, their only vacation of the, of the year, really, you know? And so I, I, I think it is, it's, it's pretty rough for most of these players. Yeah. It's interesting. If you look at the world cup, because you see like the players in NWSL versus the players in other leagues where the NWSL is, is in the middle of players really going to the world cup are kind of, they're at the peak of their fitness. They're playing week in and week out. They're ready to go. Whereas you say, you know, take like, European players, they're just coming off their season. And I think we right. kind of saw some of the effects of that and how it kind of gives the U.S. an advantage. But then the downside is, is you're right, yeah, they don't get any sort of a – they get a little bit of a break, but not really much. And, yeah, the mental and then also the emotional impact of it is something that I think we don't, we don't talk about enough. And I was speaking with our colleague Dan Laletta this morning about that sort of thing, and he really mentioned that, like, we don't – we don't get to see what it takes and players like Rapino, like maybe say Mallory Pugh or Lindsay Horan, who kind of aren't fully healthy, pull themselves together enough to get through the World Cup and do what needs to be done. Um, and the toll that it takes just on their minds, I think it's something that we can't understand because we're not there. You know, we're not athletes of, of that caliber. And I don't think it's anything you, you can understand from the outside looking in. But to come back and say, I've got half my season left. And I've got to push it and I've got to make it to the playoffs. And you're, you're, you're Megan Rapino, and you're seeing your team struggle with so many injuries. And, and where do you draw the line between I want to give it all for this team too and I've got to consider the long-term impact and really take care of myself. And I think it's kind of fascinating to see how they they manage those demands between the national team and the NWSL. And to, to, thank goodness a lot of them, most of them are very, very dedicated to NWSL as much or even maybe more than the U.S. team sometimes. And I think, too, you know, I would imagine coaches and teammates, you know, you're coming back from the, the World Cup and they're like, great, you know, our, our we've got reinforcements and, you know, we're ready for that playoff push. And, yeah, it's, it's a big challenge. I, I think we saw last month with the ICC championship, North Carolina, uh, Paul Riley had some very frank comments about the, the fitness level of, of the national teamers. And I think it's, a, it's weird for us to hear. They're like, what do you mean they're not fit? And I don't think he's saying they're not fit so much as they're not game fit. They're not, you know, they've been through so much. They're exhausted that they're not the 90-minute players um, that he usually has them you know, available as. Yeah. And, you know, 
particularly since the World Cup, and I'm looking thinking of the, the really the top teams, the kind of top four or five teams that are in the running for the, the playoffs at, at this time. Looking at them since the World Cup, to me, it's interesting to see how much of a lack of consistency there is. You know, you have yes. Chicago going from almost setting their record for a winning streak to going to a losing streak to to coming back and winning again. You have Portland, who was so, I feel, dominant during the World Cup break and then losing last night in that huge game to North Carolina, 6-0. Um, North Carolina, you know, they've had their struggles. They can beat the number one team in the league 6-0, and then they can barely scrape out a win against Sky Blue. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I feel like even more since the World Cup, we've seen those teams just go up and down. And really, I mean, besides, I think the Royals are probably the most consistent team at this time. Yeah, and it's such a cliche to say, you know, any given day, any team can win. But we really are in in the middle of that. I mean, let, so let's talk about last night's games. First on the, the ESPN national TV game, Orlando, who had a pretty rough game in Tacoma for the weekend with a long weather delay where they, in a way, thankfully got a break, uh, you know, early in the game, they've gone down three zero, they get a break to kind of regroup and then didn't allow any goals for the rest of the, the game. But that's, you know, still a frustrating game to come back. You're facing a team who who's, you know, kind of found their groove again, got a three zero win against Houston. Uh, but like defensively, it was it was an Orlando we haven't seen much of this season. Yeah, I really liked Orlando's game plan coming into this. I think that that Mark Skinner's finally kind of and kind of understands his team a little bit better and knows their limitations. And to be honest, I think he's probably just biding his time until the offseason where he can really make this team his own. But they they came out and they 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 first day, you know, they didn't press very high. They they invited a little bit of space. And what was interesting to me is they really didn't mark Sam Kerr very tightly, which I think was very smart. Because if you mark her too tightly, you're going to step too early and she's going to burn you with her speed. And right. instead they caught her offside really numerous times and then obviously kudos to Ashton Harris for some some truly outstanding saves as well. But Chicago, I just I found myself very disappointed in how Chicago played. And part of that I think they they didn't have Vanessa DiBernardo due to an illness. And then they rested Savannah McCaskill, who had started over the weekend. I think those two are probably their most creative players. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just seems like they couldn't, they were playing very flat. And, and I think this is a trap that Chicago has fallen into for years. First with Christian Press, now with Sam Kerr. And their game plan, when, when things aren't going their way, their game plan is get it to your target forward and then let's see what she can do. And, you know, ultimately their goal came from not from a Sam Kerr goal, but from a Sam Kerr assist. And I think she's a little bit underrated in her service. And so they weren't doing a good enough job. They're playing very narrow and weren't doing a good enough job of stretching Orlando's defense, getting, you know, pounding those crosses into the box, which I tend to think is kind of a, a weakness of Ashton Harris. And um, I honestly thought that was, was headed for a nil-nil draw. I thought it probably should have been a nil-nil draw as far as what right kind of deserved but you know that is one thing that that you have to give Chicago credit for that's something that they're going to need if they're going to finally advance in the playoffs is to dig deep and throw everything you have at the end and find a way to do it we don't see that from them enough I think yeah I think we all thought that game was going to end up scoreless uh with you know how well Orlando was playing defensively Ashlyn Harris having a really good night, um, just that determination where, you know, you're out of the playoff race, but but you're playing for pride. You got players playing for their 
opportunity to still be on the team next year, you know, so that, and, and, and I think the pride too of shutting down um, the most prolific scorer in the league. So that final goal, like for Orlando, I felt crushed for Chicago. Like you said, props to them keeping in it. Um, Sam Kerr being a creator short with that great header. And I love that you brought up, you know, Sam Kerr's service because that was her 22nd NWSL assist. There's only two people who have more assists in the league, and that's Lynn Williams and Tobin Heath. So, yeah, we, we forget, sure, she's got this incredible scoring rate, but she can also play provider. Yeah, so and I think that's, that's things that they're going to need to do to, to advance again. It, we've seen where teams can effectively mark and shut down Sam Kerr. And so for me, when I look at Chicago, it's always who is going to be that person. Is it Nagasato? Is it McCaskill? Uh, which personally I, I would probably put my, my bet on. I, I really like Savannah McCaskill. And I think Rory Dames is someone who can get the best out of her. And I don't think we've even come close to seeing her best. So it's finding different ways to accomplish your goals in the end when things aren't going your way. And I think maybe we finally saw a little hint of that. Um, yes. Now, obviously, it was against Orlando, which, you know, no offense to them, but they are the lowest ranked team in the league. And um, there were some defensive mistakes on that goal. So I think it's can, when, you know, the cards are down, can they do that against North Carolina? Can they do that against Portland? And that's something I'm not sure is answered, but I like seeing, you know, you've got your right back in the center of the box, things like that. Mix it up, throw everything forward and, and, pull out something crazy well and then you have orlando facing north carolina this weekend at north carolina so they're basically returning to the site of their their 5-0 loss which was their second game of the season um but you know if they can play defensively the way we saw them play last night you know that could be a very different game and then let's talk about the second game last night and that was I would say a head scratcher is probably the best way to describe that. Um, you know, and I was on the call for that game and it was stunning that 21 minutes in North Carolina's up three zero, you know, sure. We saw three zero scoreline last fall when, uh, you know, North Carolina beat Portland in the final, but that was over the course of the entire game. And sure. Emily saw it, not in the lineup due to red card suspension, but we know it's never just about one player. You know, you, you still have Mangas in the back, Catherine Reynolds in the back, Klingenberg in the back, Ellie Carpenter. Um, but I do think part of it is that that mental and emotional fatigue. I don't, I, I don't really think it's physical fatigue. And of course, now Portland has ten days before they play again, and they're going to host Houston, who will have played three games since, but uh, or two game, two games since. But I just, I feel like it was a mismatch of North Carolina was kind of coming into a groove. You know, they rested three key starters um, Saturday and then put those starters back in this game. And Hey, when you have the luxury of depth to do that, you know um, so you had really rested players coming in where Portland coming from their road trip, Utah, they hadn't been able to rest anybody. Um, and once you're up three zero, I think in, in or rather from Portland's perspective, once you're down three zero that quick in a game, that's a really big hole to dig yourself out of. Yeah, so I didn't stay up to watch this game last night, so I had to get up in the morning for work and I'm like Cinderella, I shut down early. And 
I, I woke up in the morning and I'm getting ready. I pick up my phone and I'm like, I almost dropped it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I just, I was like, that's got to be a typo. There's no way the Portland Thorns gave up six goals. Like, I don't believe it. And so immediately <laughs> I'm scrambling all day long to like watch as much of this game as I could just to see what had happened. Um, yeah. you know, for one thing, on North Carolina's perspective, I think there's there's a couple things. One is that they score in bunches. They've they've been doing that for years. And when you get yeah. when you let them get into a rhythm, they yeah. they, they just keep rolling, and they just it's like they're they're like a, a you know a snowball rolling downhill. The more you let it go, the just bigger it gets. Um, and that's, also, that's, you know, a, that's a good point. Yeah. So, and last season, I felt like we rarely saw Paul Riley rotate his players unless it was like due to an injury where I think we've seen a lot more rotation this year. And maybe that's because he's got so many at the world cup, but I think it's, it's really helped him out more um, when, when they really need it. You know, last year they every you just had everyone playing at their best level and maybe not as many this season. So they haven't been quite as, as unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Portland, you know, what, what I saw of, of the game was I haven't been able to watch every, you know, all 90 minutes back to back. I've just watched chunks, but I just, I don't think they were there. Like if they were bodies on the field. I'm not sure they, they really, they didn't, they didn't seem prepared at all. They didn't, they didn't show up and they, you know, they'll, they'll obviously, as you said, once you dig such a hole, it's so hard to get out of. And I think, you know, at that point you, you almost, almost know for sure you're out of the game but you can't let that go into your head but they just it seemed to me like they gave up like I you know one I think it was Dabinia you know gets the ball at midfield sprints past the Thorns midfield who were kind of just trudging along you know half jog no attempt to stop her and then just rips a shot off and I'm just like that's that's unacceptable to me if, if I'm Mark Parsons and I'm sure he said that in, in probably worse terms. Um, <laughs> you are the, like the number one team in this league right now. You're a perennial, you know, playoff appearance, shield contender. They're, they're chock full of world-class talent. To just not put in the effort, you know, I'm not sure what it was. I don't know if they, um, they were a little bit too overconfident or – I'm not sure what it was, but it wasn't the thorns that we know for sure. And I'd like to think that was an aberration, but it's something to be concerned about. Well, and what's interesting, so this was their, their third meeting of the season. So that, that, that ends the season series even at 1-1-1. One, one, and one. Um, But when I look at the stats for the three games, all three meetings, North Carolina had at least 20 shots on goal. Or, or sorry, shots. All three meetings the most Portland had was 10. So all three times North Carolina had twice the amount of shots that Portland did, but the results you had a one, one draw. You had Portland win two, one last month off of two own goals. And then you had the six zero drubbing from last night. So it's fascinating that it was the same amount of attack, but very, very different results. Yeah, and I would typically I would say that probably Portland shots tend to be of a maybe you know less frequent but more of a higher quality. I think North Carolina tends to struggle a little bit with efficiency. They just they pepper right. you with so many, they're just eventually going to get in. <laughs> um, yeah, that is that is just so bizarre. And that's I think it's one of the games we're gonna be talking about for years to come. Like remember that crazy game in Portland? Uh, unfortunately I'm sure they don't want to remember it, but 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 well, we will and so. I had to 
I had to text Dan during the broadcast to say, you know, hey, I, I, I can't look this up, for, you know, when, when I'm working, but, you know, when's the last time Portland gave up four, five, six, you know, um, and that was the first time I knew that was the first time that Carolina had scored six in a game. And it, and it could have been more. Heather O'Reilly hit the post late. Um, and then you look at their subs. They're not bringing in defensive subs to finish out the game. They're bringing in Kristen Hamilton. O'Reilly. <laughs> when was the last time they gave it up? Because I wondered the same thing. Uh, I think that was the most they've ever given up. I thought, I thought so. I mean, surely yeah. that's. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was the, that was a new record that, you know, they didn't want to think about. And then I also think about it from the goalkeeper's perspective. And, and I think this applies a little bit uh, to Ashlyn Harris or Orlando too, that it must be really challenging if you were the backup keeper for your national team and you leave to, you know, go to the world cup. Sure. You're training and you're pl- probably playing some intense 11 v 11 practices, but you're not getting any game time. Right. So Ashlyn Harris, Adriana French from early May to late July, get no competitive time. And then you come back to your club team and you know, it's it's like starting the season without a preseason, and and we've we've seen Ashlyn Harris struggle a little bit, and I think we've seen Adriana Franch struggle a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree on on all fronts. And you know, people always say, "Oh, it's it's." People sometimes I think think that it's better to train with a really good team than to be playing. You know, and they wonder, you know, when backup keepers will transfer to to get more playing time and maybe a, a lower quality team. And I'm just, I, you can never replicate game experience, especially especially the decision making for for, for a sure. keeper. Yeah, because yeah, the decision making and, and the organizing, yeah. you can do the yes. rest of of the shot stopping, which both of them are fine with. It's it's that sort of of stuff that you you can't replicate in a training scenario. You just can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, an incredible Wednesday night for NWSL. And then we have a pretty busy weekend. We've got more weeknight games next week. And part of that is due to, because of the ICC, North Carolina and Houston rescheduled their August fixture um, to Tuesday. So at least that one ends up getting to be on national TV. So within a week, I think we should have a pretty clear playoff picture you know we could have a couple more teams um eliminated but more importantly we could have a really good sense of who's where so with that win last night north carolina now sits in first just one point above portland but they've played two fewer games so this is where you really see north carolina's upper hand yeah and i I can't really you know i hard to say that they're not the favorites for the shield they're sitting in first place they have two games in hand and you know obviously going on the strength of last night but uh, this is a hard one I, I think that that could that's gonna I feel like that get, that's gonna go down to the wire between those two teams um, yeah Chicago is still up there and, and could make that climb I just I don't quite see it them I, I think they're they're struggling with consistency as I said earlier I don't quite think they're gonna make the jump even though they have a a very favorable schedule to pick up a lot of points. Um, to me, I think there's two things that's fascinating. I think is, is the shield race between Portland, and North Carolina, and then if the rain can, can overcome the Royals and take that fourth spot, because that to me, I, not 
to, to cut out Washington. They are still there in the mix. I just think that, you know, level-wise, where the teams are right now, I think the rain and the Royals are cut above Washington. And um, and the rain getting Rapino back. Oh, huge. Like, I don't I don't think we can <laughs> underestimate, like, how much of an impact that can make for them, you know? Megan freaking Rapino. Yeah. Um, well, and also for, for Utah and rain, they're just like North Carolina. They have five games left to play, whereas Portland and Chicago only have three games left to play. So mathematically... Utah could still finish with more points than than Portland. They, you know, they yeah, that's, ask them to, which is interesting. depending on 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 results. Um, so that's why you always have to look at uh, you know who people have left to play. Are they taking points from people around them, or are they taking points from people below them on the on the standings chart? Um, so it's it's the matches coming up where it's one of these top five playing against each other that are just going to be so fascinating. Like, you know, next Wednesday, rain will be hosting Utah and we know they'll want to get revenge for that, that big loss they suffered at home to Utah last month. Um, Washington this weekend back at Audi field, probably in front of another big crowd hosting, hosting rain. And that's, that's a key game for them to, to get back, get back into things. And then Utah, North Carolina, uh, a week from Saturday. It just, I mean, I, w- I would circle that one on your calendar for sure. Yeah, I, I would say North Carolina's offense against Utah's defense is, is going to be fantastic to watch up. And then let's go back just a little bit to Utah-Portland last Friday because of the of the four weekend games, um, I think that one was the most significant. It was the first time that Utah had ever beat Portland. It was such a close game. It felt like a chess match. Um, it was it was an incredible game to watch. Whereas North Carolina Sky Blue was a struggle. The the, the rain Orlando game. You had the long weather delay, and then you know all the goals happened early. And then Chicago Houston again. Chicago gets out to an early lead where. Portland Utah just seemed like a classic football match where it's it's end to end neck and neck and it's a one zero decision. Yeah, on a Becky Sauerbrunn goal. I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah, yeah. I was not surprised when I saw that voted as end of sell goal of the week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I that game was was fascinating to me. I think that the Royals are not afraid to get under the skins of teams a little bit, be a little bit chippy, you know, kind of push the line. And I think that that frustrated Portland a little bit. Um, I also think that Portland kind of on the stat sheet, I thought kind of dominated that game in so many ways, just not where it ultimately counted. But I think that the world's defense is is one of the best in the league. You have Nicole Barnhart, who's probably been the most consistent keeper this season. Um, Yeah. She just keeps keeps going. She's like a machine. Crazy. Yeah. And then you have they play such an organized defense, which you have Rachel Corsi and Becky Sauerbrunn. How can you not be? They do such a good job of filling in space and keeping their shape when their fullbacks press up. That I just I find it very very entertaining to watch their defense defense go. And uh, on the opposite end, I actually think that Portland has struggled to maintain a very a strong defensive shape. No matter who kind of they have this rotating cast of players in the back line, I kind of wonder if maybe that's hurt them a little bit. Because they just um, they seem to get pulled out and they seem to step too easily when when they're playing teams that come on the attack. Yeah, and and a, a team like Utah, you know, we saw their offensive struggles at the beginning of the season, but 
if you can play so staunchly defensive and keep yourself into it until the offense starts clicking, that's, you know, there, there's another great cliche defense wins championships that, you know, they weren't scoring a lot, but they were getting the results because, Hey, sometimes it only takes one goal if you're not letting the other team score. And then seeing the partnership blossom between Kristen press and Amy Rodriguez. And I think even more importantly, just the subtle shifts that Laura Harvey has made to the lineup where Gunny Jonstadter, who had started every team, every game in club history up until mid-August and then suddenly is not starting, but they're using her more as a defensive piece to shut down the game. You know, for whatever reason, that that's working. You know, and, and we're seeing Katie Stengel and Lola Bonta come alive. So I, I look at Utah and North Carolina and rain as clubs that are potentially hitting, hitting their groove right at the right time. You're peaking right at the right time. We've seen Chicago up and down, you know, um, Washington, you know, they had a great game uh, at Audi field before the FIFA break. They haven't played since. So we don't really, you know, have a good gauge of, of them right now, but I, but I think it's all about, peaking at the right time and when it's been such a long season and probably the season where Andy Vassell has had the most attention you know um it's it, it, it's a big challenge but I'm, I'm really excited for these next 10 days to see how it how it all turns out yeah and, and particularly you know coming off last season when kudos to North Carolina for doing what they did but it kind of took some of the excitement out of it um, yeah, who was going to get the shield so quickly and, and almost seemed inevitable that they were going to to win the final two. That uh, this season has been a little bit more interesting. We've seen, you know, Washington started off so strong; they were up in the mix. Chicago's been in first place. Portland, North Carolina, you know, the rain have kind of surged and dropped and surged and dropped. And the Royals have kind of mostly, I think, started off strong, kind of went to that lull and has really steadily grown since then. Although I kind of wonder. <laughs> how uh, their nerves are doing and one nil wins are, are hard to, to keep going from, you know, game after game. That's got to right, do a, right. a number on their, on their nervous system and Laura Harvey's blood. You, you want that game so, where you're like, and, Oh, our second goal, we scored a second goal. Yeah. But you know, Hey, a win is a win better than yeah. better one zero than nothing else. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I like your point about peaking at the right time because it really is. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I think we hear that cliche all the time. And you know you're going to drop points. It's a matter of who you drop points to and, and when and giving yourself time to, to build up and make a really strong finish because I think it's, it's under, underrated probably how good it is to finish strong and go into the playoffs strong. And I think we've seen that work well for, for North Carolina coming off a good win going into the semifinals. And then, you know, with Chicago, I think it was – was it two years ago where they rested so many players in their last game and got slaughtered in Portland. And then they just, it seemed like it it hung around them that next game. Yeah. Like they, like they they lost the momentum. And and speaking of Chicago, they have, I I think kind of an awkward schedule because with, with nine teams. So, you know, someone's on a bye each, each match day and having the final week of the season after the October FIFA break, so eight teams will play their final game after the FIFA break. Chicago's entire schedule will be done before the FIFA break. So they will just have to sit there and wait <laughs> and see, see how. Yeah, things and I don't, 
Yeah, I well, don't think you want your destiny to be in, in, yeah, you don't want your destiny to be in somebody else's hands. You know, you want to take yeah. control of it. And they just kind of have to wait and see. Now, I think that this last international break did a lot of good for them. It kind of lessened their injury report a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, that seems, it, it may do them some good, but that seems less than ideal for me. And at, at least, uh, I think to me, that underscores how important that win last night at Orlando was uh, because that three points gives you some some breathing room in a way that a scoreless draw, you know, would not. Um, but it, I, I mean, at, at this point, it's really five teams competing for four space with Washington having an outside chance, Houston having a very slim out, outside chance. Um, but it's it's going to be who finds their groove when and who manages their schedule best and each team has, has different challenges, whether it's travel or strength of opponent or, or, or schedule, but you know, everybody's got a different thing to manage. So last question for you, Chelsea, um, who's, who's been um, the player you've enjoyed watching the most this, you know, the, the past few weeks, basically, you know, we'll, we'll say since the victory tour match uh, at the Rose bowl. Um. Honestly, I think it's Kristen Press. She's um, maybe kind of be, I don't know if I'd say my front runner for MVP because I'm not sure I have one, but definitely in the mix. I think that she's, she's enjoying herself, and I think she's a player that you can definitely tell when she is and is not enjoying herself. So it's always a joy to watch a player who's getting a joy out of soccer. And I like that we've seen her this year, and I talked about this on, on the last Equalizer podcast, of, of transitioning and becoming much more of a creator and a provider instead of yes. in the past, she had a tendency to kind of take it on herself and she's, she's accepted different roles and she's still scoring plenty and, and some great goals at that, but she's, she's creating partnerships that we haven't seen her maybe do in the past. So I think seeing a player evolve like that, who was already at such a high level, I think has, has been really good and, and, and doing so much good for, for Utah. Well, and it was her ball into the middle that Becky Sauerbrunn put a head on and, and got that amazing goal um, exactly. against Portland. So, yeah, just much like we were talking about Sam Kerr earlier, you think uh, you, you think Kristen Preston, you think goals, but sometimes those, those assists are, are just as important. Uh, so, Chelsea, thank you so much for, for taking the time to kind of recap recent weeks of NWSL. And, yeah, well, thanks for having know, me. And, and of course, people can listen to you on the Equalizer podcast and, and read your coverage on EqualizerSoccer.com and look forward to talking to you postseason about how everything shook down. All right. Thanks, Jen. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Heather O'Reilly, who normally I would give a, a some big title to, but there's so many titles we can give to Heather O'Reilly that Heather, I just <laughs> thought, let's just go I, Heather I O'Reilly. I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> so big news for you, um, retiring from professional soccer at the end of this season. So, so talk about what led to that decision. Um, before the season started, um, you know, I had kind of put some thought into um, how I felt, where I felt, you know, I was in my personal life with my husband and sort of reflected on everything that I had been able to accomplish. And I think that everybody's everybody's journey is like 
different and unique. And I feel very fortunate that I've had a long and healthy career. Uh, my body feels pretty good. Um, but I, I was thinking about me like I was like some kind of orange that you're, you know, you're squeezing every last drop out of. And <laughs> I think that I think that I can say that um, I've really, you know, given this game every last bit of me, except maybe um, a few drops left. And I think that that's really important and beautiful um, because I still maintain my my passion for this game and um, my joy and, you know, my, my health and um, I'll have a lot to give to future generations. So um, I guess in conclusion, I just felt like at 34 years old, it was uh, time to hang them up professionally. And um, hopefully I got a couple more trophies to add to the trophy cabinet at the, at the end of this season. Um, but I just, I just confidently felt like I had, um, I had done it all, um, and I had a few drops left, but I'm going to get to new endeavors, and whether that's in coaching or broadcasting and, and different ways to stay involved in the game, um, I'll always have a, a huge passion for it. Well, I remember a few years ago, I think you had talked about possibly getting involved as a referee, but it looks like it looks like your first step is going to be coaching, coaching at your alma mater um, as part of Anson Dorrance's staff at North Carolina. So talk about first thoughts about maybe someday being a referee and then what and then how this opportunity came about with Carolina. Well, I think probably the refereeing was maybe um, said, you know, maybe after a game that I did not agree with the refereeing. I don't know. <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, we need better referees. Maybe, you know, like we need players that have been playing formerly. And then my teammates were like, well, Heather, none of us want to be referees. So, like, if you want to do it, like, go for it. But, like, we're not going to do it. <laughs> and then I said, I was, like, on my high horse. And I'm like, fine, I'll do it then. And so then that became kind of the running joke that after I was playing that I would become a referee. Who knows if that will work in my future. But um, I think uh, I will likely be behind the camera or in coaching. And, yes, I um, have a wonderful opportunity in front of me to and to work with uh, American soccer and Anson Dorrance. I mean, over the last four years, really set the stage of what um, what greatness is. And I think that his fingerprints are literally on everything that we've been able to accomplish at UNC, but also the U.S. national team. And, um, you know, even some of the uh, global game is impacted by Anson because of the way that the U.S. team has been able to um, just push the needle, I think, in, in different ways, in, in the level of the game and the competitiveness and the uh, self-belief and all of that, um, Anson had early, early um, hand in. And um, so what a joy it is to be able to work with him. And it just turned out that uh, longtime assistant coach Bill Palladino was stepping down from from his role this year. So it worked out perfectly for me to sort of take over that position. And I couldn't be more excited about it. Well, and you, you think about too, with uh, the world cup final USA was playing a team coached by a Tar Heel alum. I don't think a lot of people realize that Serena Vigman played 
you know, back in the day, back before your day, um, you know, with Mia Hamm and Carl Overbeck, I think, uh, at North Carolina. And she talked about how that, that time she spent there, how it changed how she looked at the sport. So it, yeah, truly, a, you know, a global kind of ripple effect from everything that came out of that program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at Mia Hamm, you look at even Lucy Brunt. Like you said, dominator in so many women's lives that have been able to accomplish big things. So, um, what an honor to be able to sort of join him on that on that bench on that side of the lines where I feel like I really developed a lot as a player and as a human being. Obviously I love Chapel Hill so much. I uh, moved back there a few years ago because I just think that that community is special. The university is special to me. Um, met my husband there at that school and uh, it's just a place I think that I wanted to make my life. And, um, you know, I've been able to see a lot of different cities around the world and different countries as well. And my heart Well, and I think about, too, how, you know, you've been all over the map when it's come to, you know, where you've played, Uh, you know, originally with Sky Blue, you were with, um, sorry, with WPS, you're with Sky Blue. And then, of course, later Boston Breakers and then FC Kansas City and then across the pond playing with Arsenal. So, you know, it must be satisfying not only to wrap up your professional career with the courage, but to then be starting a new career at your alma mater. Absolutely. It worked out, uh, you know, uh, you know, perfectly as, as beautifully as I could have imagined it. I think when I, you know, knew that my time with Arsenal was um, coming to an end and, and I was, you know, reflecting on, on how I felt and I knew that I still had a little bit left in the tank that I, wanted to give and what I thought that I could give to the NWSL. Um, it was about um, which team would be, you know, best. And obviously my player rights were still with Utah, but, uh, you know, in, in thinking about sort of where I wanted to end my career, what was kind of coming next, um, you know, what, you know, where I wanted to build my life um, going forward, North Carolina just made the most sense. And obviously for me to be able to end it where it began was really critical. So we managed to make that work and, and get a trade done so I could be in North Carolina and, uh, and join this, this Courage team that, you know, is a bunch of winners. And what Paul Riley has done here with the Courage over the last few years and with the flash when they were up in Western New York is, is nothing short of remarkable. It really is. So it was a joy for me to be able to join on with that team. I felt like a little bit of a mooch last year joining about halfway through the season when they were, when they were far and away in first place. But (laughs) (laughs) if I was able to, if I was able to help push on the team and nudge them on and in, you know, winning the ICC tournament was really special and in the field and the team last year, was a dream um, situation for me to kind of find myself in in um, after joining midway through. And then this year the quest is on for at least a double. So um, I will continue to kind of nudge the, nudge the team on and um, do what I've always done, which is be myself, um, bring a lightness to training, but also a, a ruthlessness. Um, I think I'm one of those 
work hard, play hard kind of people that everybody knows that I'm going to give everything at training and in games. And I've been part of a lot of winning teams, but I think that I've been able to do it for as long as I've been able to do it because I find joy in the small things and, and in the relationships and, and things like that, that it actually takes to win. Um, so I'm going to just keep doing that, keep doing what I'm, I've been doing for the last, you know, 17 years as a, as an elite player and, and hopefully chase some more hardware. So, so looking back at, at your long career, um, share a few highlights, and I know it's going to be hard to pick a few, but just a few from the national team side and a, and a few from the club side. Yeah, as you said, I feel very fortunate that I have so many wonderful careers, I, uh, wonderful, you know, memories of my career. I think, um, you know, going back early days of, of U.S. national team, I was part of a youth U-19 World Cup. And we were as part of that Youth World Cup, and I also got my first caps with the national team. And actually, sort of where it all began for me. Um, and again, that's kind of the, the start of what I consider to be my 17-year. Um, journey at an elite level. But that Youth World Cup really kind of, I think, um, inspired me as a young player. And um, that was like my big first world trophy that I think, um, you know, we have such strong memories of that. You're seven, you know, 17 years old, 18 years old, winning a world championship. You remember that you hold on to that. And that led me on to um, success at the Olympics in 2004. So that was another incredible memory because I was such a young player playing with a lot of my idols. Um, final, which allowed us to win that year, um, honor for me. Um, so those, those two tournaments kind of were the launch pads, I guess you can say. Uh-huh. And then, uh, gosh, winning at Carolina was a thrill. Um, being a double winner in 2015, being World Cup and club champion in the same year that was that was a pretty good year <laughs> and and assisting assisting yeah. the the game winner in that nwsl final i i remember vlaco talking before that final just about how he felt it was going to come down to one moment and it really it, it was such a tight match and it was just that one moment where you were able to get free and and spring the ball to amy rodriguez yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that I was I was thrilled to be able to join FC Kansas City. I think our decisions, and it was time for me to leave Boston um, and try something new, get in a new environment. And I've heard nothing but great things about Blacko. So, um, you know, I moved my you know moved my life again to a different city in in a quest for player development and to be on a be on a team uh, that was, you know, had big ambitions to win. And that was at that time, FC Kansas City. And um, right after they had played the championship game the year prior, he knew that he had to make one or two tweaks to his team in order to keep nudging them on and, and adding me to the squad, I think he thought was one of the differentiating factors. And I was happy to be able to, to prove that in that final, get on the left side, pick out Amy Rodriguez. And she nodded it past Hope Solo. It was really uh, a wonderful game here in Portland, actually, in front of, you know, 
ton of people and uh, what a way to end the year. Yeah. And then this summer you served five weeks on the, the studio desk for the women's world cup. So whole different experience for you and basically thrust into the limelight. You know, they didn't even kind of slowly work you in. They're like, all right, five weeks, ready, go. So, <laughs> so, so a couple of highlights from that on the field and off the field. Yeah, I mean, I'm really thankful for that opportunity. I, I you know, was, I've done a few friendly matches, and I actually had some reps under my belt going over to the Euros in 2017 when I was living in Europe, uh, and I did the, the group tournament at the Euros. So that was really good for me to be able to be part of the tournament, uh, and it was, like, helpful that the U.S. was in. And it was almost like a dry run for me to kind of right. get a tournament format under my belt. Um, so I did have that, but I, um, you know, had only done various friendly matches with the U.S. So this was a, definitely a huge jump for me. And I was nervous at first just because there were uh, a lot that went into it, like from an emotional and a mental standpoint. I mean, this was the first World Cup that I was not being part of as a player since I was a teenager. So there was right. a sense of nostalgia <laughs> about it. Um, there's a sense of, you know, commenting on your you know, some of your best friends and commenting on a team that you love um, in a way that, you know, you're, you're asked to be critical. Um, sometimes and play and, and things like that and, and, tr- and try to be objective about it. So there was, um, there was some nerves going in about how I would approach it, if being on live television would be difficult. Sometimes that red button comes on and your brain does some really funky things. Like the very <laughs> first day when we, <laughs> when we um, did the preview show, I, I had definitely one of those deer in headlight moments where the camera came on me and I got like hot and sweaty and like basically couldn't even move my mouth and just froze. Um, luckily that show was taped. It wasn't live. So it was no big deal for me to like do it over again. But um, (laughs) just like anything, you know, it takes some time and it takes a good team of supportive people around you to kind of get you, get you going. So that was, that was an early memory um, of something that was not so good. But um, after that, yeah, just the jokes on the set with Alexi Lawless, Rob Stone and Kelly Smith and the whole gang was just uh, so awesome. And I think, what I realized from it is that, um, you know, you, you form teams, not just in your sports, uh, with your sports team. Like after the final, somebody asked me if I was bummed that I wasn't in Lyon because the team was obviously having huge celebrations and I was chatting with the girls on FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no way. Like I wouldn't want to be in Lyon tonight because then I wouldn't be in Paris with my Part of four World Cups, three times as a player, and one time on the broadcast side of things. So I felt like it me to to prove that you can be part of this amazing game in so many ways, um, even post your time on the field. Yeah, but yeah, I mean Paris, amazing in June. I mean, just like scooting around and eating croissants and. <laughs> um, you know, just I, I loved when the, some of the girls came to visit the set. Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, and and Krieger came to visit the set one day to do a, a little piece. So I I called it "Bring Your Friends to Work Day." <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it was just a thrill. It was a lot of fun. So last question, any thoughts on um, who your your pick would be for the U.S. national team coaching job, knowing that it's not under your control and there's a lot of different factors out there. But if you, And if you don't want to name a person, like what kind of coach do you think the next U.S. national team coach should be? Huh. Um, I'm not sure I think that Blacko would be an excellent choice. I think that he has proved that he can uh, win, that he can put together good teams, that he can develop players. Um, you know, this stranger to the women's game just came on board, what, like six, six or seven years ago and has, has established himself as one of the best in the pro game. So certainly his name is in, is in the mix. And I think that he's a, a good man and he um, has an appreciation for the culture of the national team. And that's obviously something that's, you know, that I hold near and dear to my heart that I hope continues for, you know, forever and ever. Uh, my manager at Arsenal, Joe Montemoro, I think is an excellent coach. I think that he um, has been in, you know, at Arsenal for only a year and a half. They've won um, the the Super League last year, so I think that he's, uh, I think he's one of the best around. So I think that both of them would be um, at least candidates that I think should be seriously considered as well. I've never worked with Laura Harvey, so I can't really speak to her. Um, but Eric Walsh obviously would be an excellent choice and Steve Swanson as well. All, all people that have been involved in in the highest level of the game for a long time. And um, I do think that we have a lot of really good options to take the game forward. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up being named the next coach. Uh, but Heather, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and good luck with the rest of your final season. Uh, thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. NWSL action continues this weekend as the playoff race is heating up. Sky Blue and Orlando have already been eliminated. Houston and Washington are hanging in there. But the top five teams are keeping things pretty close. A reminder for watching NWSL, ESPN now has the worldwide rights to NWSL streams. This is a long-term good thing in terms of revenue, but a short-term obstacle for international fans who are used to watching on NWSLsoccer.com. So for the rest of this season... If you're watching internationally, you have to have access either to your regional ESPN channel or TSN in Canada. Meanwhile, Yahoo remains the provider for USA streams, and there's no login necessary. So for international fans, I would highly recommend figuring out how to use a VPN so your computer thinks you're in the USA and Yahoo lets you watch the stream. And keep in mind, 24 hours, sorry, 48 hours after kickoff of any game, the game is archived on NWSLsoccer.com and has no geo-blocking. You just can't watch it live without some geo-blocking, but all the games are archived. You can go back and watch any game anytime. And of course, that 2019 NWSL Championship game is not far off. Tickets for that game are on sale now at NWSLsoccer.com slash championship. The game will be played Sunday, October 27th in Cary at the home of the North Carolina Courage. 
The semis will be played Sunday, October 20th, hosted by the number one and number two seeds. And it's still too early for us to know who those top seeds are. But note for that weekend in North Carolina, I am organizing another women's soccer conference for Saturday afternoon, October 26th. So make it a big weekend. It's going to be a fun one. I'll have details about that posted on keepernotes.com next week. But before we get to NWSL playoffs, there is there will be another FIFA break in early October, and the U.S. women will wrap up their victory tour with two games against South Korea. They'll play first in Charlotte, North Carolina on October 3rd, and then at Soldier Field in Chicago on October 6th. These two games will be the last ones for head coach Jill Ellis. After that, there will be a new U.S. women's national team coach. And finally... Uh, be sure to check out all the Woso nerd links at keepernotes.com. Uh, you can also purchase the Keeper Notes Almanac in either print version, PDF version, or a combo. Uh, the Almanac, if you haven't seen it, there is a sneak preview on the purchase link. And I've got six years of NWSL stats, photos, player registry, coaching records, all kinds of great stuff in there. Uh, the next Almanac, of course, will be ready right before Christmas. But if you want one now, that's the way to go. Go to KeeperNotes.com. And you should also check out my three Twitter handles, of course, at KeeperNotes, at MixZone for the podcast, and at Woso Merch uh, for all kinds of tips about finding the Woso Merch you want. All right. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who refers this podcast to someone else. And as always, thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.